Shalom and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Brutal Planet right here on Yeshiva Radio. My name is Christopher Fredrickson. It's an honor and a pleasure to be with each and every single one of you here today. And I also want to say hello to our new subscribers that have subscribed to the video version of this on iTunes, which we just got up earlier in the week and something that we're all very, very excited about and uh, glad that it is that you guys are taking advantage of this. And, um, you know, as well to, you know, the uh, many, many 150,000 people. I can't believe that. I, I It cracks me up every time I, I think of that number of people that have subscribed to the audio version of this broadcast. And it's just... It blows me away. It really does. You know, it's 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 a very stressful yet humbling thing to really think on that number, you know, because, you know, probably at most I've known probably about 300 people my entire life, you know, known them well, you know, so, you know, just that number of 150,000 people that I don't know tuning into this every single week just kind of throws me for a loop a little bit. But uh, we are continuing on on our series on Didache, and we're using uh, Toby Janicki's, um commentary on it, The Way of Life, the rediscovered teachings of the Twelve Apostles to the Gentiles. And we are more than halfway done, as a matter of fact. Only got this much left of uh, Didache, and we're going to be going through Chapter 9 today, and we're going to be drawing on a lot of things that actually come from the very first tractate in any set of Talmud, which is Tractate Berchot. And we'll also be drawing on from the Siddur as well, because we find some very interesting parallels here and uh, why it is that these new believers have this certain bracha, this certain prayer, and this blessing in which it is that they do. But let us go ahead and start out by reading chapter 9 of Didache. And it says, Now concerning the giving of thanks, give thanks in this way. First, concerning the cup, we thank you, our Father, for the holy vine of your servant David, that you made known to us through your servant Yeshua. Yours is the glory forever. Next, concerning the piece of bread, we thank you, our Father, for the life and the knowledge that you made known to us through your servant Yeshua. Yours is the glory forever. Just as this piece of bread is scattered over the mountains and gathered together, so your assembly be gathered from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. For yours is the glory and the power through Yeshua the Messiah forever. Do not let anyone drink by means of your giving thanks, except those immersed in the name of the Lord. For the Lord even said concerning this, do not give what is holy to the dogs. Okay? There's a lot of stuff to go over here, a lot of stuff to tap into, a lot of things coming from many different angles. And so they all relate However, to one pinnacle thing, the importance of prayer, the importance of the bracha, 
one of the things that it is that uh, Jewish converts like myself, as well as natural-born Jews, do every single morning, Jewish men that is, is we go and we put on our tefillin, we go and we grab our siddur, and we go and recite from that of the siddur, and we put heavy consecration into prayer. This is known, if we have a minion of ten, this is known as shachris. We also have afternoon prayers, which are known as minka. Many within that of Christianity are familiar with hitbodadot. Yet, we do not call it hitbodadot within that of Christianity. Instead, they call it going into your prayer closet. And the idea of hitbodadot actually within that of uh, Judaism says to have been started by that of Rebbe Nachman of Breslev. But however, we see this concept of hippodot being talked about by that of the Messiah when he tells us to go into our prayer closet. So in many ways, one of the things I always end up saying is that Yeshua, the Mashiach, ended up going and teaching Hasidic Judaism before Hasidic Judaism was ever even a thing. And so we see this through that of a concept that seemed to be re very revolutionary. By that of Rebbe Nachman of Breslev, we see that it was ultimately taught first by that of the Messiah. And so the thing about it, though, is that we say, do, it, do we go away from tradition? Do we go away and just do hit bodadot? Is that, is that what it is that we do, or do we hold on to the position, to the tradition? Well, the thing about it, though, is that first of all, we see that, considering we have Mishnah, in terms of Brachot, which is the rulings, and it's also recorded in that of Shulchan Aruch, that these are things that it is that we're bound to, per that of Deuteronomy 17. So therefore, we cannot break away from the, from the tradition. But yet, at the same time, we see that the prayers are follow the same formula, are almost identical, yet at the same time, different from that of which were recited by that of the, uh, in the traditional Siddur. But the traditional Siddur has indeed changed over time. Has indeed changed over time. And it has also changed based upon sex. And we have these small variances that are allowed to be changed based upon sect. Okay? And so, with that, I say to myself, considering Hippodadot is something that the Mashiach who is ultimately our Rebbe, ended up going and speaking about, and also the Rebbe Nachman of Breslev as well went and spoke about this. This is a part of Halakha. This is a part of what it means to do, uh, to, to, go, to go into prayer. This is what it is that we are obligated to. Now, the thing about it was last week you heard me go and talk about how it is that when we go into prayer, it is all about going and connecting with Hashem and having this dialogue with Hashem. And we talked about the Avinu prayer, which finds its way within that of, of Dirache. And we talked about how it was that that is such an amazingly Jewish premise that, however, for some reason, we tend to overlook. And so... We're going to be getting into this today. So the very first verse, it says, Now concerning the giving of thanks, give thanks in this way. One of the core things within that of Judaism 
is seeing Hashem within all aspects of life, realizing that He's working in all aspects of life. That's crucial. That's key. That's pinnacle. And so with that comes the amount of gratitude that for some reason we don't give Hashem to the mandrega to the level that it is in which it is that we should give him thanks and be and show gratitude towards Hashem. And we practice this ultimately by going and looking at how it is that we live our life. Men, whenever it is that your wife goes and cooks you dinner, do you go and, you know, just, you know, immerse her in praise and say thank you, honey, and realizing that this is something that she's doing for you that she ultimately doesn't have to, but it is her way of expressing her love for for you and for the rest of the family. When she does laundry, whenever it is that she goes and cleans the house, whenever it is that she gets everything ready and prepared for Shabbos, us men at times, we are not as grateful as we should be. This is something I've talked a great deal about within that in my Garden of Peace series. And so, you know, one of the things that I ultimately end up doing is that if a person has a hard set, uh, one of the things I ultimately end up saying rather often is that if a person doesn't have gratitude towards Hashem, they can learn to have gratitude towards Hashem, to, towards Hashem if they're married by going and writing down the various things in which it is that their wife, their spouse goes and does for them on a daily basis and how, thinking about how many things that it is that they do that ultimately we have not uh, shown gratitude for. And so that's, that's a, that's a key thing here. Now, the thing is, uh, in the overview section of the commentary here, it says Jonathan Draper writes, while washing, uh, while washing establishing a state of separate ritual, community, or holiness is above eating and drinking together, which expresses it. In other words, the, the, the liturgy, that, that are parts of these prayers here, of these ceremonial meals both symbolize and affect the incorporation of Gentiles into the commonwealth of Israel. It is in dining together which the community that real Jewish fellowship begins. And this is very true. One of the things that I have people go and message me over rather often in my email is wanting to know about conversion wanting to know if I am willing to go and convert them, which it is that I am able to do. But the thing about those is that I ultimately go and pull back. And I say, first of all, conversion takes place with somebody who is within that, that of your community. It has to be a rabbi within that of your community who has the authority to do so. They have to be a person that is, you know, that basically spends time with you and your family. They have to be people with whom it is that you have had within that of your home and that they have been within that of yours. You'll be able to, you know, go and pick them out of a crowd anywhere that it is that they are. You'll be able to, you know, go and say all of these things about them and be able to describe the person and all this stuff in their mannerisms and the way that it is that they are because of the fact that you spend a great deal of time with them. And so the thing about it, though, is that when I see these online conversion things, I always say, that's that's not the real deal. It's not the real thing because that's not the way that it is done within that of Judaism. And so the thing about it, though, is that the meal is a huge part of community, a huge part of being a part of something and being mishpacha. You know, this is... 
why it is that that, that most uh, uh, synagogues will have a ho- uh, an, an oneg, you know, during the time of Shabbos, you know, or maybe, you know, if, if they only do service on Erev Shabbat, they might go and do it, you know, after it is that um, that a, a drosh is given on, on Erev Shabbat. You know, because that's that's a that's a very important thing. Usually, you see the rabbi get up; they'll go and talk to people and say, you know, how are the children? You know, how are things at your job? You know, are things going better in this area of your life and things like that? You know, he's ultimately invested in them, and so the uh, the people that are a part of the community are ultimately invested within that of each other, and that's a very important thing. That's a very important thing. So did Ache. Uh, Didache uh, 9.2 says, first concerning the cup, we thank you, our father. Now, the rabbis believe that the cup over which the blessing or the bracha was recited imparted a blessing to those who drank from it. So at times, it was much like in the, in the, in the church, a communal cup. But the thing about it, though, is that oftentimes people don't understand the symbolism behind this. This idea actually comes from bracha, or, or brachot rather, which is the plural form, brachot 51b, within that of the Talmud. It goes and talks about this ceremonial cup in which it is that was, you know, imparted onto those who were a part of the community and they would all go and drink from it. Now, within that of the prayer that kind of goes and starts out here, Within Didache 9.2, it says, We thank you, our Father, for the holy vine of, of your servant David, who you have made known to us through your servant Yeshua. Yours is the glory forever. Okay? Now, the thing about it, though, is that this very bracha is also found within the Mishnah of Brachot 6.1, and it's also found within that of our Sidurs as well. And the bracha goes and reads as such: Adonai Piri Ha-Gathan. Okay, which uh, in English says, "Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the Universe, who has created the fruit of the vine." Okay, and that is what is ultimately written within that of the uh, of the Talmud, within that of Tractate Bracha. Now, when we say we thank you, our Father. Okay, we see within the rabbinic tradition over this it says, "Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the Universe," which is the way that most prayers go and start out with. Now, with this, although the blessing that uh, bless that we do uh, in terms of derache is "Blessed are you," uh, uh, form uh, that form was one of the most popular. One of those during the uh, used in the temple and the synagogue that we find evidence of. Uh, we thank you, I or thank you, from Jewish literature and prayers, including the Dead Sea Scrolls. Note within that of Psalm 118, verse 21, it says, I thank you that you have answered me. Okay, that is a part of a bracha, that's a part of a prayer there. And then when we see, you know, for the holy vine of your servant David that you have made known to us through your servant Yeshua, we see that the next part of the bracha is who creates the vine, uh, the fruit of the vine, okay, in the traditional bracha. And then we have yours is the glory forever, 
And then the Almain is recited within that of the, uh, the traditional Jewish bracha. Okay. Now the thing with it is that as we go on there, also within that of the, of the uh, prayer, it says, for the holy vine of your servant David, that you've made, made known to us through your servant Yeshua. This deals a great deal with lineage in which it is that we were talking about before, and the concept that deals with Mashiach ben David, but also for Mashiach ben Yosef, has to go through the line of both Yosef and that of David at the same time. Okay, and so then we end up having the traditional blessing over bread, and I believe it might actually be on the same page here. Let me see if it is. Yes, it is. Okay. And in the Hebrew, it says, Barukata Adonai Elohim Melakalam, Hamotzi Lechem Mim Haaretz, which in English says, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings bread out of the earth. Okay? That's the traditional blessing here. Now, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, we see within the commentary, it says, Once again, as in verse 9 1, we find the word concerning Peri. Okay? An introduction to legal instruction in rabbinic literature and Jewish law, the blessing of our bread, covered the whole meal, and no other blessings were necessary to recite except for that over wine or grapefruit juice, which it is that we discussed earlier. The didache follows the rabbinic protocol. And we find the protocol in the prayer that it is that we just read, as well as within didache 9.3, where it says, We thank you, our Father, for the life and knowledge that you have made known to us through your servant Yeshua, yours is the glory forever. Okay? Now, within that of what it is that we just read, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings bread out of the earth. Amen. Okay? And so, we have the parallels here. We thank you, our Father, and also, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. Then from Didache, for the life and knowledge that you have made through your servant Yeshua. The rabbinic literature says, who brings out, who brings bread out from the earth. Now remember that Yeshua goes and says that he is the bread of life. Okay, so that's important. Yours is the glory forever. And then within rabbinic literature, we say, Amen. Okay, so we see the parallels there. And the, and the body, the blood, the wine, the bread, all of these things that uh, were done during that of the Pesach Seder, before it is that uh, Yeshua ended up being uh, uh, being being sacrificed and all those things, we see that symbolism right in there that is based within that of rabbinic literature. And then we have verse 4, which says, So your assembly be gathered from the ends of the earth into your kingdom, for yours is the glory and the power through Yeshua the Messiah forever. Okay? And so with this, with this entire prayer, what we have to understand is we have to understand the hashkafa that was going on with the individuals who were there taking part of the hamotzi, that were taking part of you know, the, the blessing over the bread and the, you know, eating the bread, eating the, any of the food for that matter and drinking the wine and so on and so forth. in this idea of fellowship, we see that within the book of Acts that we have Kepha, Peter, he did not want to go and eat with Gentiles. He's like, I'm going to go and 
hang with my Jewish peeps over there because there's this idea that these people may not be necessarily so kosher. And we see that God goes and tells him, you know, basically through the dream, he says, dude, don't call anybody unclean. That's, you know, that idea is just absolutely faulty. And we have this idea that is found within two-house theology rather so often. And that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why it is that I'm not a part of the two-house movement is we have an issue with um, this idea that basically uh, people who are of a certain lineage or a part of a certain skin color that is supposedly a part of a lineage, in their minds that is, uh, basically has prudence over others. And there's this uh, bigotry that's involved that was actually the same kind of bigotry that was involved during the time of the first century by my Jewish brethren, by, you know, people who follow the same halakha that it is that I do, you know, follow the Pharisaic halakha. We see that we had some groups of Pharisees going and saying that, first of all, uh, you know, they can't go and eat with these people. You know, we, we, uh, they're, they're not necessarily so clean unless it is that we go and we get them ultimately circumcised. And let's go ahead and just kind of make that the first step. And they could kind of, you know, just kind of be under our belts and, you know, do what it is that we say for them to do, you know, right from the beginning. As opposed to this gradual thing that we find through the steps of B'nai Avraham, of the, uh, being of the house of Abraham, how Abraham took him 99 years or in his 99 years on earth till it was that he was circumcised. You know, this is a guy that, you know, basically we see him go through the levels, you know, we find within that rabbinic literature when he was either a nochri or a ger, or not a, a, a ger, a, a nochri or a goy, where it is that he sold idols, as a matter of fact, and then he was considered ivri, then he was considered a ger, and now he's considered to be the world's first Jew. And it, and it was a process, and this is the same process that we end up seeing through that of the Apostle Paul and many of the other writers of the New Testament, that it's not this uh, one Torah theology view of, bam, you do it all right now. You came to the truth of this whole thing, bam, just start doing it all. Do it all. You know, that's not the way that it works, and it couldn't work that way because people didn't have personal Bibles during the time of the book of Acts. They didn't have personal Bibles until that until the Gutenberg Press, for goodness sake. You know, nobody had this. You had to go to, to, to the shul to go and learn the Torah of Hashem. And it was read, read on a three-year cycle at that time, as opposed to the one-year cycle that we have today. And that's just the Torah. You know, you're going to miss a lot of the Ketuvim and the Nevi'im, you know, during that point. And the New Testament wasn't even written yet. And so, you know, there were all these things that were in the way. And that are still in the way. Even though we have information at the speed of light at our fingertips nowadays, you see how it is that nowadays studies a lot different than the way that it was in the first century. You know, so I would even say, you know, even though first century, uh, uh, first century theology was adamantly against, you know, one, one, one Torah. If there was any time within history where it actually could have worked to some extent, it would have been around that time, but even, you know, Paul and the apostles said, no, that's, that's just, that's just ridiculous. You know, that's like trying to tell, you know, a, a kid who's in first grade, he needs to be doing advanced algebra. Hashvi shalom, God forbid. 
you know? And so and this is why the, the Talmud goes and tells us that, you know, uh, that a Bnei Noach can be just as lofty in the eyes of Hashem as a Bali HaKabalah. Ha you know, and so the thing about it, though, is that's something that we have to understand. And so when we see from Didach 9.4, so your assembly may be gathered from the ends of the earth to your kingdom, for yours is the power and glory through Messiah Yeshua forever. Notice it doesn't say that for yours is the glory and the power through fulfillment of mitzvahs forever. No, it is instead through the Mashiach. This is something that I think at times many people just kind of overlook a great deal because, you know, they get so uh, uh, fixated on this new thing that it is they've learned, whether it be Torah Shebektav, whether it be Torah Shebektav, whether it be Chazel, and they say, ah, you know, it's good that we got Mashiach, but, you know, this is the real way over here. You know, ultimately, if a person is clinging to Mashiach, they're going to cling to mitzvos to some level in which it is that they can handle. You know, whether it be as a B'nai Noah or whether it be as a full convert, okay? So, then we have this hugely controversial statement at the end. But do not let anyone eat or drink by means of your giving of thanks, except those immersed in the name of the Lord. For the Lord even said concerning this, do not give what is holy to the dogs. Okay. Now, this is a citation that we end up finding within that the book of 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 Matis Yahu, and many people are, are Matthew, or if you have the Dalage, it's uh, Matai. And the thing about it though is that this there's a lot of discussion over this, and in certain places of debate, but also at the same time, some people don't want to look at that because you know they don't like the idea of the Messiah coming, and you know this this woman who was essentially a goy, you know, basically saying, don't give what is holy to dogs, you know, and all that stuff, referring to her as such a thing. So what we're going to do is we're going to look into, you know, basically what this phrase actually ends up meaning, do not give what is holy to dogs. And we're going to go back to uh, some uh, uh, first century and pre-first century citation in terms of this. The saying, do not give what is holy to dogs, goes back to the halakhic rule about sacrifice foods, uh, uh, sacrificed foods, uh, and sacrifices in the temple. Okay, so this is our starting point. This is what it's about. We find a parallel in saying, do not give what is holy to dogs in rabbinic literature, uh, which states, uh, one may not redeem dedicated sacrifices, holy things, in order to give food to dogs, as we end up finding, um, Within that of, uh, uh, a commentary by that of, uh, Van Dizant on Didache, dogs were considered despicable, insolent, and unclean animals, scour scouring for reuse and eating things that disgusted human beings. It was unacceptable to offer them these things that were kadosh. Okay. And so we have that prohibition there that we end up finding there, and this is also talked about within Mishnah, Trumot, uh, 6.5, we find it in the Bavli Talmud, in, in Brachot, 15a, we also find it in uh, Trumot, within that of the Talmud, 17a. So, you know, there's a lot of citation from the time of citation within that of the first century 
what it was that this was talking about. Okay? Now, the Torah states a layperson shall not eat of holy things. No foreign guest of the priest or hired worker shall eat of a holy thing. Okay? This is what we find in Leviticus 22.10. Okay? So it's even right there within that of Torah in Didache, the, com- the communal meals take on sacrificial character. To paraphrase, Draper in the background, uh, Draper the background has to do with a question of Jewish law regarding uh, sanctity of the sacrificial portions of the temple. That is to say, the holiness of sacrificial portions offered to the temple is being ex- extended to these uh, sacred shared meals in the community. Okay. And so the thing about it, though, is that we have this uh, th- this issue that Paul even goes and talks about, where he forbids eating or associating with who is guilty or sexual immoral or who is greedy or who is an idolater or who is a reveler or who's a drunkard or who's a swindler. We find this in First Corinthians chapter five verse eleven. We also see this in Second Peter chapter two verse twenty two. We find this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. We also find it in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 15. And so the thing about it, though, is that let's say that it is that you are a new believer in Yeshua. You're a new believer. You're trying to fulfill the bracha that is talked about within that of Didache 9, that is also talked about within that of rabbinic literature. Say that it is that you're trying to do that. Now, the thing about it, though, is that word hasn't gotten around that you are this new person. And so within that of your zeal and that of your zealousness, you are bringing your former friends over and saying, okay, we're going to go and do the bracha. You know, and that, the, you know, you got this one guy over here who's worship, worshiping Zeus. You got this guy over here that worships Mithras. You got uh, this other guy that goes over here and worships Tammuz. You got this guy over here that goes and worships, I don't know, Barack Obama. You know, you got these guys that will all worship different things and you got them all reciting the same bracha. So therefore, what ultimately ends up happening to the bracha and the meal, the communal meal? It is then not only defiled in by all those who are there, but it's also defiled from the onlookers. As well saying, oh, but of what sect is it that this is associated with? Oh, they're going and doing the prayers for that of Tammuz. They're going and doing the prayers and praise of Barack Obama. They're going and doing the prayers and praise of Mithras. And so on down the line, hitting all of them and associating the bracha, the prayer, to the unclean, the idolaters, the greedy, the... Uh, sexually immoral, you know, all of these individuals. It is then being superimposed onto them that this is the bracha that is associated with their beliefs, with what, with the things that it is that they are with. And so therefore, we are going and giving something holy to dogs, essentially, is what it's talking about here. We are taking something that is holy, consecrated unto Hashem, that we're giving thanks to Hashem for, and we're saying that it is but nothing we are giving it to idolaters and people who it is that don't practice the way of moving forward with Hashem, people who are sexually immoral, people who are greedy, people who are idolatrous, people who are drunk drunkards and swindlers. We're, 
you know, going and giving something that is holy and communal to them. And so, therefore, we see why it is that, you know, Kepha had a little bit of a wall up whenever it was that uh, he was asked to go and eat with that of the Gentiles. And he said, I don't think I'm going to do that. But the thing about it, though, is that these particular Gentiles that, that Paul was, uh, or that Peter was in uh, association with, were not goyim. They were not sexually immoral. They were not swindlers. They were not um, idolaters or any of these things. Instead, these were people who were learning the ways of Hashem. People who were coming to faith through that of Yeshua the Messiah. That's the difference. Okay? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope and I pray that this teaching has been a blessing to you. And next week, we are going to get in to, uh, to the next chapter, chapter 10 of Didache. And I want to thank all of you for joining us here today. All right? So, Shalom Brocha, peace and a blessing. Shalom. So, you want to learn Hebrew or Aramaic, or maybe both? Make sure to check out HebrewandAramaic.com. All three of the instructors on the website have accredited Moray licenses to teach the languages that they teach on the website. You can take the lessons on your very own time, and they even have a Roku channel so you can learn from the comfort of your very own couch. With over 200 videos going step-by-step -step through the languages and all the various scripts and over 100 PDFs of exercises and quizzes, this is the most thorough set of lessons that you'll find anywhere on the languages of the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah. So visit HebrewAndAramaic.com today and sign up for only $15 a month.